Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to our worship at Hillhead. Um, our worship this morning is led by Graham. Um, this service includes communion, so please have something to eat and drink handy for when we reach that part in the service. And no one will say anything if you nip out during the first hymn because you've forgotten. I'm really sorry for the short notice about being on Zoom this week. Um, I missed an email from um, Alistair at the start of January. Thankfully, Alistair's more organised than me and he'd already told everyone involved in leading the service. So at least they knew and it didn't come as a shock. Um, I hope those of you who normally come to the hotel have enjoyed a slightly slower start to your Sunday. Our midweek conversations group will continue on Tuesday at 7 when we will um, keep going with our conversations on the theme of time. Willie has suggested some questions to think about in advance of that meeting, so I'll circulate those this afternoon along with a link to the meeting. The Coffee Club meets as usual at 10.30 on Wednesday at Esquire House, and next week we will meet together as usual in the hotel and on Zoom when Lena will lead our worship. These are all of our notices for this week. Thanks, Holly. Well, it's good to be here with you this morning. Um, and partly because we're on Zoom this morning, I've got three or four just very short reflections and Bible readings on a common theme uh, to keep things moving along. Um, so you'll get lots of little sound bites this morning. But as we begin our time together, let's start by reading Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So today I want to talk about wind. Not the bodily function, thankfully, but the weather condition. Um, if you've been in Scotland over the past couple of weeks, you'll know that we've been battered by several storms. Um, and some of the storms, I think, have probably been the most powerful that we've seen in a long while. Um, just before Christmas, um, our fence in our back garden um, has become loose and it was starting to shake a bit. And so I've been in this constant battle over these past couple of weeks, trying to prop it up in the storms. Um, until it can be properly fixed. So one night, I think last Sunday night, was it? Um, I found myself at 2am out in the back garden trying to realign the props and hold up the fence uh, against the wind. So needless to say, oh, uh, wind has been on my mind over these past couple of uh, weeks. And so this morning, I, I want to explore how wind is often used in the Bible to let us know something about God's presence and his power.
Let's continue our worship together by praying together. Father God, we come into your presence today carrying different loads and different concerns. For some, the week may have brought joy and celebration, but for others, it may have brought sadness and worry. As we become aware of your presence, may we know your comfort and peace, whatever circumstances has brought us to where we are this morning. For those who come in the midst of a storm, we, may we know your peace. May your presence bring reassurance to us as we listen to your voice calling out amid the raging sea. For those who are struggling to see a way ahead, may your presence be enlivening. May we experience your life-giving spirit. For those that come weary and burdened, may your presence be refreshing and this morning be a time of restoration. May we hear your voice in the quiet moments of our day, whispering your comfort to us. For those that come with joy and celebration, may your presence be a guide to us, directing our passions to help and support those around us to also flourish. May our time together be united by your spirit that dwells in each one of us. May it be a time where we are particularly conscious of your presence. May we be attentive to your voice, whether it's a loud cry or a quiet whisper. Bless our time together. That we, that we may be encouraged, refreshed and enlivened by your pre presence amongst us. We pray for your blessing in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And we continue our prayers by saying together the words of the Lord's Prayer in whichever language is most comfortable to you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, now and forever. Amen. So, even though we are on zoom this morning i'm hoping that you'll um be able to interact with me a little bit either through the chat function um or if you will be able to unmute and and share a little with us i'm wondering if you've ever been on a memorable journey um maybe it was because of where you were going your destination and that's why it was memorable um maybe it was the mode of transport you took um, and that's what made it a memorable journey or maybe it was because of what happened on the journey, for good or for bad, um, that made it memorable. So is there anyone that would uh, be willing to share with us a memorable journey that they've had? Anyone? Nancy, I can see your, your hands up. I can't see everyone's face, but um, Nancy, if you want to share with us. A memorable journey that I recall was in October of 1987, which I think was when it was a terrible storm. Strangely, I didn't think about that at the time. We were travelling back from Arbroath to Plymouth on that night, that day. Um, it was about a 12-hour journey and we um, had been at my father's funeral and part of that was emptying his house and so we had a car with 
my husband, myself, my three sons, um, the dog, and a boot full of stuff. And our car broke down just south of Birmingham on the M6. And we got the AA and they took us to Worcester, I think it was. And we had to transfer all our belongings into a higher car and continue the journey to Plymouth. Um, and the following day, a friend from Plymouth took my husband back up to Birmingham to tow our car back. Um, so I remember it for lots of reasons, with gratitude for the friend who did that, with gratitude to the AA. It's not, it's not a horrendous experience. It was pouring rain, obviously. The wind was wild. But it was a memorable journey. Thanks, Nancy. Yeah, I can imagine that's not one that you'll forget. Um, oh, just uh, got one from Katrina in the chat. Three weeks traveling from Rome to Pisa to Genoa and to Nice on your own in 2012. But you saw a lot of amazing sights in that journey as well. Um, I think one of the journeys that was memorable for me um, was I um, cycled from London to Brussels um, over the course of three days. Um, it was a charity bike ride, but it was such a great way to see the north of France and into to Belgium as well. There's nothing like um, being on a bike to really absorb the the surroundings that you're on, and that's definitely a journey that I'll not forget. Anyone, anyone else, a journey that they want to share with you? As I say, I can't see everyone, so you might just need to unmute Um uh, Another one in the chat from Janet driving up to Canada to catch a flight in a snowstorm. Oh, I bet you that was uh, stressful. <laughs> Graham, I can see Jenny's hand up. Great, Jenny. Okay. Um, ever since I was a teenager, I'd read a lot about Iceland and I had always wanted to go there. And in 2010, um, I fulfilled my ambition. I went on my own and I can remember coming into land at Keflavik Airport. I'm being so sad. I go, oh, like that. I've come to Iceland at long last. And I had the most wonderful holiday. Um, I traveled around by bus, minibus mainly, and I met some amazing people. I hitchhiked some of the way because there wasn't a bus. And people's kindness and hospitality was amazing. But one of the memorable things, too, was that I landed uh, from Glasgow. And about two a day later, I'm on this excursion by coach. And the um, person who's taking us around says, oh, by the way, looking into the east, you can see this yellow cloud. And it was this volcano erupting. Uh, you know, it was quite unexpected. And it certainly... It didn't affect my plans because I planned to go round the island um, clockwise. But if I wanted to go anti-clockwise, I couldn't have done because of the ash. Fantastic holiday. Wow, that sounds amazing. Um, yeah, Iceland would be a great place to visit, not being myself, but maybe on the bucket list. Um, thanks for sharing those journeys um, with us. Um Oh, I've just seen there's another one on, on the chat from Rachel. Just went up to Sky this past week and almost got blown off, off your feet. Yeah, I imagine so. <laughs> um, um, so in, in Mark 4, um, we read about Jesus and the disciples taking a journey across a lake near Galilee. Um, and 
when you think about who was with Jesus at this time, I, I, many of the disciples were experienced sailors. Some of them were fishermen. They would pretty much have lived their lives on boats up until this point. Um, so when we read that the boat was hit by a storm, I can only imagine that this was a, a storm of quite significant proportions, maybe like the storms that we've had in Scotland over the last couple of weeks, because the disciples were scared and and seemingly almost scared for their life. Um, and I love that Jesus, uh, according to the accounts, was really just chilling below deck. Um, I mean, I've no idea how each one of you sleeps, but I wake up at the slightest of noises. Um, so Jesus must have been a real deep sleeper if the disciples were fearing for their life on deck and he was just down below chilling out. And so Jesus gets up and he goes above deck and he calms the storm. And the disciples are amazed because it shows that Jesus has the power over creation. And, and this power is usually just reserved for God alone. And so in Christ calming the storm, Jesus is revealing to his disciples that he's claiming an equality with God. I'm sure this journey, this boat ride, was a, a journey that the disciples never forgot. But Jesus, in his display of power and calming the storm, reminded them that God was with them. God's presence in Christ was highlighted on this occasion by an absence of wind and storm. And it was Christ's presence in this story that brought a sense of peace in the midst of a storm, which brought them through to the other side of the storm. Our reading is from Ezekiel 37, verse 1 to 14. I felt the powerful presence of the Lord, and his spirit took me and set me down in a valley where the ground was covered with bones. He led me all round the valley, and I could see that there were very many bones and that they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal man, can these bones come back to life? I replied, Sovereign Lord, only you can answer that. He said, Prophesy to the bones. Tell these dry bones to listen to the word of the Lord. Tell them that I, the sovereign Lord, am saying to them, I am going to put breath into you and bring you back to life. I will give you sinews and muscles and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and bring you back to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been told while I was speaking. I heard a rattling noise and the bones began to join together. While I watched, the bones were covered with sinews and muscles and then with skin, but there was no breath in the bodies. God said to me, mortal man, prophesy to the wind, tell the wind that from every direction to breathe into these dead bodies and to bring them back to life. So I prophesied as I had been told. Breath entered the bodies and they came to life and stood up. There were enough of them to form an army. 
God said to me, mortal man, the people of Israel are like these bones. They say that they are dried up without any hope and with no future. So prophesy to my people Israel and tell them that I, the sovereign Lord, am going to open their graves. I am going to take them out and bring them back to the land of Israel. When I open the graves where my people are buried and bring them out, they will know that I am the Lord. I will put my breath in them, bring them back to life and let them live in their own land. Then they will know that I am the Lord. I have promised that I would do this and I will. I, the Lord, have spoken. Thank you, Margaret. It's a great um, or a well-known image um, in the Bible, this the Valley of Dry Bones. Um, for anyone that knows the song, Dem Bones, Dem Bones, Dem Dry Bones, this is where that song comes from. Um, and it doesn't really matter, I don't think, whether um, this is just a prophetic vision, whether it happened or not, because it was the picture, this, paint, this, this Valley of Dry Bones paints a picture of the people of God at that time. They had lost their way. They'd become distant from God. They'd been reduced to a lifeless people. And this vision that we hear in Ezekiel has some interesting biblical antecedents. That is, some places in the Bible where there's similar language or images that have been used here. For example, it's only when the wind blows down the valley that we hear the rattling of the bones and when God breathes, depending on your translation, that the bones come to life. The word that's used here is ruach, um, and in Hebrew it can be translated as breath or spirit or wind. And so we often throughout the Bible see an overlap of these images of breath or wind or spirit. Sometimes it's translated as God's spirit, sometimes it's translated as God breathing in, sometimes it's represented by a wind blowing. So for example, we read of a very similar idea in Genesis. Um, humans are formed out of the earth, but it's only when God breathes on them that they come alive. And we see that in Ezekiel here. It's only when God breathes, you can see the bones and they've got sinews and muscles and tissues, but it's only when God breathes on them that they come alive. It's only when they receive God's spirit that they're enlivened. And so in some ways, it's not a big jump and not a big leap to understand that when we receive the Holy Spirit, the image that Paul uses is one of a new creation. The old life of gone, we have died to the old life, but now in the Spirit, we live in the new life. Our life in Christ is animated, enlivened by the breath, by the Spirit of God. But actually, this prophetic vision is even more than helping us make the link between God's Spirit and life, because the vision here speaks of hope represented by this new kind of living. The, the vision is a word of encouragement to remind us that God has not abandoned his people. Where God's presence is, there is hope. Where God breathes out his spirit, there is hope. And so in this vision, not only do we recognise God's power to create and bring life, but we are also assured that his presence brings hope. 
Our Bible reading is from 1 Kings chapter 19, 9 to 13. There he went into a cave to spend the night. Suddenly the Lord spoke to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? He answered, Lord God Almighty, I have always served you, you alone. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed all your prophets. I am the only one left and they are trying to kill me. Go out and stand before me on top of the mountain, the Lord said to him. Then the Lord passed by and sent a furious wind that split the hills and shattered the rocks. But the Lord was not in the wind. The wind stopped blowing and then there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a soft whisper of a voice. When Elijah heard it, he covered his face with his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. A voice said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? Thanks again, Margaret. Um, this scene that we kind of enter into, I think is just in a, a brilliant um, narrative that we find in the Bible. Elijah has just taunted and defeated the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Um, but it seems like that exertion has taken its toll. Um, he's now hunted and pursued for challenging basically the rulers of the day. Uh, and he wavers. Um, I, I think I totally get it. Um, as a as an introvert myself, I understand being drained after a very kind of public performance. Um, but I love God's response because just before this passage, God basically says to him, take a nap and have a snack. Um, I'm not sure that, I'm not saying that, that this advice cures all difficulties, but you know, sometimes having a nap and having a snack is a great place to start. Um, and, and that's what God kind of, God's response at this point is, um, and so we pick up the story just after that advice. Um, and really, Elijah here is striving to know what's going to happen next. I, I get the sense that Elijah's just come to the end of his, his of his energies, um, and he's just asking God, "What's coming next?" And there's an earthquake, and there's a storm, and there's a fire, and God's not in these. Now, Elijah knows that God is a powerful God. He's just experienced that on Mount Carmel when he's called down fire from heaven. But here he discovers that God is also present in the quiet and the still. In many ways, much like on the lake in Galilee, God's presence is found in the absence of the storm. We're quite often led to believe, I think, that God's power and his presence is found in the big show, in the big acts, the big miracles. But here we learn that God also speaks in the still and the quiet. And I actually think that's just exactly what Elijah needed. He was not looking for more displays of power like on Mount Carmel, but he was looking for the comforting presence of God in the times of rest and recovery 
in the stillness and the quiet. Right after this episode, Elijah hands the baton on to Elisha. A fulfilled life for Elijah, but a tiring life. God seems to recognise this and allows Elijah some rest. Here, God's presence reminds us that God is a God of comfort. A presence with us that not only brings peace, but also comforts us. Sometimes I think that flourishing looks like knowing when to rest. Sometimes I think flourishing looks like knowing when to pass the baton on. And God knows when his presence needs to be a comforting presence. going to read from Acts 2 verses 1 to 4, just a very short passage. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I always find this scene quite interesting. Um, If we 
forget the Acts passage for a moment, but go back into John's gospel, we get a bit of a mashup of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances and a Pentecost-type scene. Um, in John's gospel, um, the disciples are found in the upper room, locked in the upper room, and Jesus breathes on them while he was still there with them, um, and they receive the Holy Spirit. Um, so once again, taking that account of John's gospel and the Acts account that we've just read of Pentecost, there is this overlap of overlap of breath and spirit in John's gospel where Jesus breathes on them and receives the Holy, the Holy Spirit. Then in Acts, the spirit here is in some way depicted by the violent wind. And so breath and spirit and wind all act together in these two slightly differing Pentecost accounts. From John's account, I always have um, sympathy for Thomas, often known as Doubting Thomas. Um, he wasn't there the first time that Jesus had appeared to them in the upper room. Um, and he didn't believe them that Jesus had appeared. And in some ways, I'm, I'm sympathetic to it because, you know, Jesus had appeared to them and the disciples had been locked in the upper room. And even though Jesus had appeared to them a week later, they're still locked in the upper room. Their actions hadn't changed regardless of Jesus' appearance. And so I can almost understand why Thomas wouldn't have believed them. Um, and so in some ways, I think it's interesting that Acts account, we find them seemingly locked and hiding away in this upper room as well. There seems to be no change in action, no discernible transformation, even though they knew that Jesus was now alive. And the disciples are disturbed by this violent wind. And here the, the Spirit of God is depicted in an act of power, and it certainly seems to shake the disciples. Yet, unlike on the Lake of Galilee, they weren't scared, or at least were not told that they were scared, but rather they seemed to be empowered. After the disciples received the Spirit, they were filled with God's presence, and that's what seemed to inspire them to act. That's what seemed to transform their actions. And the rest of Acts is an account of this post-Pentecost event. I don't think it actually really matters whether we follow John's account or whether we follow the account in Acts or if we think that the true account is some kind of hybrid of both. What's clear is that God's spirit is received by the disciples. The breath of God is within them creating them as new creations, enlivened and emboldened by the presence and power of God. And I think there's something quite special about this Pentecost event and the change and transformation it brings. While in all the other stories that we've considered this morning, the wind or the breath or the spirit is an external force working outside of Ezekiel or Elijah or even the disciples on the lake in Galilee. It acted on the bones. It was Christ who calmed the storm or it passed by Elijah to reveal God's presence. But here in Pentecost, the Spirit of God comes to rest on each person and more than that, fills each one of them. Suddenly God's power and presence goes from being an external idea to an internal presence. While God was out there for Elijah and Ezekiel and even the disciples up until this point, 
from here on in, God's presence is now always within us. And so we live with God's peace. We live with God's hope. And we live with God's comfort inside us. The presence that was with us becomes the presence within us. Well, at Christmas, as we've just celebrated a month or so ago, we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. At Pentecost, it is God within us. And so we can be sure his presence never leaves us. For all the signs and wonders, the big show at Pentecost that often get the headlines, we can't afford to overlook this more fundamental change, transformation that happened at Pentecost. God within with us became God within us. Before we move properly into prayers for others, I want to do a wee meditation first. So everyone, close your eyes and focus on your breath. Feel your lungs expand as your body pulls in air. Feel the rush of air as you exhale. One of my Bible teachers growing up once to told me that one way to pronounce God's name, Yahweh, is with two quick exhales, Yahweh. True or not, this pulls God into the everyday, the mundane. Every time I exhale, every time we exhale, saying half of God's name. Every time we inhale, pull in his gift of life. Feel the life and feel the praise for the next few breaths. Heavenly Father, thank you for being with us in the mundane and the still small voices of our day. Thank you for your powerful protection, strong enough to raise us an army from the dead. Thank you for your fierce gift of the Holy Spirit coming in the final days, that we might not be alone, but always have you with us. We come before you today, Lord, in various places. Some of us are joyful. Some are sad. Some are ready to move. Some are exhausted. Help us to remember that we are not alone, no matter how alone we feel. We pray for the other churches in the Baptist Union of Scotland. We pray for Bristow Baptist Church, Browty Ferry Baptist Church, and for Broxburn Baptist Church. May they feel your presence with every inhale and praise your name with every exhale. As we go out today, may we do the same. Feel your life, your presence, every inhale, and praise your name with our every exhale. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Rachel. We're going to move into a time of communion. Um, so if you have your bread and wine or whatever you're using today ready. Communion, I think, is multifaceted. Um, by that, I mean, there are many different ideas that communion represents. Um, quite often we think about it as a moment of individual repentance, remembering the sacrifice of Christ. Uh, other times we're reminded it's a communal action which represents our reconciliation with both God and others that we're taking communion with. Still other times we're reminded 
it's a practice that happens the world over by all Christians in one way or another. And that has been practiced since the very early church. And so we join together with a universal church to proclaim Christ. But while we tend not to think of communion as Christ's bodily presence in the elements, we do think that communion is Christ's actual presence among us. And this morning, this seems to be a good focus for us as we enter this time of communion. When we eat together, we remember that Christ is present, present to us, bringing us comfort, hope and peace. And when we drink together, we remember that God's power and presence is within us, whether we feel like it or not. When we eat and drink together, we affirm that even in the moments where we feel alone or distant from God, God's spirit is within us. And that can be enough for God's spirit to testify to our spirit and remind us that God's presence is with us and within us. And so while we are dispersed this morning, it is God's spirit that unites us wherever we are. The same spirit that's in me is the same spirit that is in you. And we, in, we eat and we drink together united, not by our physical presence together, but by the presence of God within each one of us, as the spirit of God in me recognises the spirit of God in you. And so let's take the bread and let us eat together, remembering that Christ's body was broken for us so that we might receive his spirit. Let's eat together. And let us drink the wine together, remembering Christ's blood that was shed for us so that we might know God's comfort and hope within us. Let us drink together. May we know God's presence with us and within us as we move from communion and on towards the end of our time together this morning.
after the blessing, you'll be invited into breakout rooms so that we can spend some time together in fellowship. But before that, let's join together in a final blessing. I'm going to be reading from 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. May you know God's presence today. Amen.